0: But uh, got some excitement building for that as well. Set Free is only just uh, less than a month away now. That's our second Set Free retreat. The first one we had 100 people at, and we just really uh, saw a lot of just, as you can tell, Ken's a very real guy. And uh, you've heard from a few other testimonies of people who are just very real people, just um, making the kind of decisions that, that are really positive in life. And, uh, and God's met people through Set Free. It's been a really neat thing to, just to see people being willing to be open and honest with each other and then also to experience what God does in the midst of that. So I uh, encourage you to uh, consider that. If you haven't come to Set Free before, it's a Friday, Saturday night. I encourage you to come. If you've been before, uh, well, I guess I've been to three Set Frees now. One that I helped put on and then two I went for my own benefit and God's met me every time. And uh, I'm, I I would encourage you if you've got, if you've gone... Come back and uh, reinforce some of those tools that you learned the first time around and, uh, and uh, let God use that event in our lives. Well, the last five weeks we've been going through the book of Acts. This is week number six. We got to about less than halfway through the book, and then I'm supposed to finish it all up today. So cancel your afternoon plans. We... Uh, Yeah, we got, lots to, we got lots to do. If you haven't been able to catch up on some of the series, there's our podcast. You can always go to our website and check those out, or, or you can download them on iTunes and, uh, and, and get up to speed with some of the great messages. Last week, Kurt Buchanan had an amazing message, and the week before, Doug Ciclaco uh, was just absolutely excellent. So I'll tell you where I'm going to end up. So remember, the, do you remember what the main verse is of the book of Acts? Acts chapter... 1, verse 8. Okay, good. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You all got it. Um, Anyhow, (laughs) Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is is the key verse, right? Um, Just talking about Jesus making us witnesses. He's going to empower us to be witnesses, to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Of course, he's speaking to people who lived in Jerusalem, so in our way, it would be like saying... I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses to go to Moose Jaw, uh, Saskatchewan, and maybe ethnic groups in Saskatchewan that you don't normally associate with, and to the ends of the world. That might be a, a, my paraphrase of, of what you could do with, with Acts 1.8. Well, today I want to talk about how God offers himself to the ends of the world. How God offers himself to the ends of the world. Well, I mean, it all started with Jesus, didn't it? It all started with Jesus. God saw the state that humanity was in, saw that there was no way that humanity could reconcile itself to God because of our sinful condition, and God the Father sent Jesus. He came, uh, he lived a perfect life, he died in our place on the cross, and three days later he rose again with uh, resurrection power, offering that same empowerment in our lives as believers. And, uh, of course, he said to his disciples, now, wait. He he met with them for 40 days. He said, wait. They didn't know how long it would be. It ended up being about 10 days. Wait, and you'll receive power. And so they waited in Jerusalem, and then there's the coming of the Holy Spirit. We read about in Acts chapter 2. And then there was a new boldness in the church. There was a new unity in the church. There was incredible uh, evidence that God was at work in the church. Even though Jesus had gone at that point, he had gone and was gone back to the Father, the Holy Spirit was with them, and the church was uh, empowered to do this work of being witnesses in the world. So, we talked a little bit about what happened in Jerusalem. Lots of people came to know Jesus through the, the witness of these, these early people who were actual eyewitnesses of Christ's death and resurrection. Then, we talked about, how, Kurt was talking last week about how that spread a little farther out of Jerusalem, and it also spread Uh, into the Samaritans and and some of the first Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. So it started out as a Jewish, uh, you know, it was a Jewish Messiah that they were proclaiming, but God's plan was way bigger than that. He wanted to reach the nations. And um, so today I'm going to use three different words that start with the letter S, just like pastors always do, and uh, talk about how God offers himself to the world. But before we do that, if you've been reading along, Uh, maybe you've even read to the end of the book of Acts by now because you could have if you read a chapter a day you would have for sure finished by now but you might have read enough that you're catching on that the end of the book is mostly talking about a guy named Paul there's other characters in there the early part talked about Peter of course it's all about what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing but the latter half of the book is really talking about Paul and he's traveling here there and everywhere and sometimes it get you get a little bit dizzy reading through it because it's like and he went to this place and that place and that place so I've got a little video I want to show you and uh, it's about it's uh, academically it's sort of pitched to my academic level so you'll you'll probably get a lot out of it okay so um anyhow the little video to tell you about these three journeys that Paul made and so that you can get your head around it a little bit so
1: went on three big trips. The first was around 46 AD. Look, we're drawing a line. Starting in Antioch, Paul sailed to the island of Cyprus, then sailed up to Asia Minor and visited the city of Perga, another city called Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Then he did the whole thing backwards. Lystra, Iconium, the other Antioch, Perga, then Adalaya, then sailed all the way back to Antioch, fourteen hundred miles. He must have used a lot of gas. But now he was either in a boat or walking the whole way. I bet those Roman roads came in, Andy. They sure did. His next trip was much further. Around 49 A.D., he walked to Tarsus, then Cilicia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Phrygia. That sounds cool. I don't think it was. Then up to an area called Galatia, and all the way over to another called Mysia, then Troas, and then he visited Samothrace, Neapolis, Philippi, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea, then all the way down to Athens, which is the center of Greek culture. Then over to Corinth, where he stayed for a year and a half, then sanctuary then back on a boat and all the way over to Ephesus, then all the way down back across the Mediterranean, all the way to Caesarea. Whoa, what a long trip. And then to Jerusalem, 2,800 miles. He must have worn out his sneakers. I think he wore out several pairs of sneakers. And finally, a few years later, around 52 AD, he went on his third big trip. From Antioch, he walked all the way up through Galatia. That would make your feet sore. Then to Phrygia and on to Ephesus where he stayed for three years. That's a long time. Then all the way up to an area called Macedonia. Macedonia, I like that name. And back on another boat all the way down to Corinth. Then all the way back up to Macedonia. Again? Yep, again and then on another boat over to Troas, Assos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos, Miletus, Kos, down to Rhodes over to Patera, then once again back across the Mediterranean Sea all the way to Tyre, and down to Ptolemaeus, Caesarea, and finally back to Jerusalem again, another 2700 miles. That's a lot of traveling. It sure is. It's like crossing America from one end to the other three and a half times and without cars or trains or planes, just as two feet and a boat here and there. It's pretty amazing what Paul did. And everywhere he went, he preached and taught people about Jesus. And the new Christians gathered together. They assembled together in groups in each town. We call these groups churches, a word that means assembly or to gather together.
0: All right. I wish everything I learned was taught by puppets. It would be so much easier. Anyhow, so Paul now he he did some of this traveling with Barnabas, he did some of this traveling with Silas and Timothy. And other different ones traveled around. It seemed like there's a lot of characters in Acts. There's, you know, you got Peter and you got Paul and then you got lots of other ones. And uh, But he was really intent on doing what God had called him to do. And what God had called him to do was to be the one who would be a messenger to the non-Jewish uh, areas of the Roman Empire. So... Um, the original followers of Jesus, like Peter and some of those other ones, they, um, didn't, even though Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses outside of Jerusalem as well as inside, they didn't leave Jerusalem. In fact, we learned that last week when Kurt was telling us, and that leads us to our first S word, they actually had to be scattered to leave Jerusalem. And scattering happens a couple different ways. Uh, one way that scattering happens is that uh, the people of God are scattered. Christians are scattered and they go. Sometimes they're displaced. Uh, right now, Christians are being displaced in the world um, and some of them are, are leaving the, their homelands and places where they grew up, not by their own choice, but they're being scattered to other nations. The other form of scattering that happens, which is actually happening quite a bit in our day as well, is when um, the people that... People might go to to share the gospel, they're scattered, right? There's more displaced people, it seems, at this point in history than almost any other time. We, we see all the things that are happening in the Middle East, and again, you have refugees and immigrants and, and just migrants scattering. Uh, and that's why we, we've been encouraging ourselves as a church for over a year now, to ask the question, What is God up to? What is God doing? through this scattering. Well, this was, this was we've, so there we basically saw the map of what happened through Paul's lifetime, right? He, uh, he ends his, he goes once more back down to Jerusalem and then he ends up going to Rome. His intention was to go further than that. He had planned to go to Spain. Why did he want to go to Spain? Because nobody had taken the gospel there yet. And for Paul, it was really important to go where the gospel had never been heard before. Now, he went and established churches in different towns, and then he would come back and visit those churches, as you saw through a couple of those trips. But it was really important for him to go where the, the gospel had never been heard before. In fact, the whole book of Romans, that's another book. It actually comes right after Acts. If you kept reading after Acts, you'd run into it. The whole book of Romans is basically a missionary support letter. It's basically Paul is spelling out what kind of message he's going to, he, he, he proclaims everywhere, he's, he proclaims, uh, you know, um, all these sorts of things. But he's sending that as a message to Christians who are in Rome because he wants them to help him go to Rome and then leapfrog to Spain. And he's looking for them to be his supporters of his and to help him to do that. So Paul's intentions till the day he died was to find another place where Jesus was not known and another place where Jesus was not known and another place where Jesus was not known and to go there and to tell people about Jesus. Now, he never did get to Spain. He went to, went to Rome. He was imprisoned. Uh, he was captured. He was taken on a boat ride to Rome, which was, the boat didn't make it, but he did. And uh, he got to Rome He was under house arrest. He continued to preach the gospel in Rome for several years, and according to tradition, we we believe that he didn't go further than Rome. But that was his ambition. So let me just show you another video to take it past Paul. Now, this one's not puppets, so, you know, you're going to have to just... But some of you will be happy for that, so that's good. But this will show you the spread of Christianity throughout the world and throughout history. Can we leave that up there for a second, that map? Now, this looks really encouraging if you believe in spreading the message of Jesus, right? It looks really encouraging, and, and I don't know, I always find it fascinating to watch these things to see, you know, I'm trying to remember all my history lessons as we go through it. And so you look at that and you think, wow, we're practically done this job of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, but hold on, hold on. If you look at some of these little areas, they're not so little, by the way, they only look small on the map, but if you look at some of these little areas where you don't see the white on the surface or the white underneath, um, they are very densely populated. <laughs> in fact, there's an estimate, estimation that there, uh, even though the gospel may have come to all of these areas, it doesn't necessarily mean it's come to all the peoples in those areas, right? So sometimes people think of the gospel spreading like, you know, once a church has been established in a nation, well then is that people reached or not reached? Well, nations aren't that simple, right? Nations are made up of many, many people groups. And so I think the heart and desire of Jesus is that the gospel would not just go to a geographical nation like, you know, Canada or the Soviet Union or or Russia. They're, They're very big. They're very big countries, right? Within them are many, many people groups. And so there's lots of people groups that even under sort of the white covering there are not reached. And in this area that isn't covered with the white like you see around China and some of these other areas in Asia and, and across, uh, they figure there's about 3 billion people yet to be reached with the gospel. And that doesn't mean to become Christians. That means they have not heard. They, haven't, they don't have a gospel witness in their area. About 3 billion So there's still a huge work left to be done, even though it's encouraging to see uh, the spread of the gospel. This represents, like we talked, the last map was Paul, right? Doing all these trips. One guy with some companions and the church supporting him and stuff like this. But this is many, many, many Pauls or or Susie's or Sam's or whatever the names were, but people who've gone all over the world uh, to take this message of the gospel. Uh, And many times at very great personal cost okay you thank you for leaving that up I know we can move on so let's talk about the three let's talk about these three words I mentioned scattered let me read it from Acts chapter 8 it says on that day a great persecution broke broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria remember that was the second place Jesus said they were going to go Well, they didn't go because they prioritized it in their calendar. They went, because persecution forced them out of Jerusalem. And so they went, throughout Judea and Samaria. And it said, uh, godly men, this is after the death of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. He would eventually become, obviously, Paul, the, the church's first greatest missionary but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went I think one of the goals of any church would be one of the hopes dreams ambitions goals whatever of any church would be that um, to build people up and to equip them so much so that if they are ever scattered they'll take the gospel with them wherever they go. Here were these people that, uh, you'll notice that a lot of the leadership in the Jerusalem church actually stayed in Jerusalem. Just regular people took the gospel to all these other areas. And um, so sometimes you've got to ask yourselves when you're, when you're a part of a church, um, this is a question I asked myself several years ago and I, I wasn't totally comfortable with the answer. Again, some of the most The uncomfortable questions get you going in the right direction. And this was my question. It was sort of like almost science fiction-y. If suddenly I woke up one morning and Hillcrest ceased to exist, let's go further. All the churches in Moose Jaw ceased to exist and I was able to meet up with maybe three or four or five or six other Christians, the the remaining Christians who were still around Again, I don't know how the, how the church has ceased to exist, but this is just my scenario. Would we be able to um, restart the work of God here in Moose Jaw? What if there's only a handful of us, just a small group? Would we be able to reseed the gospel into this community? We're not, this isn't like, just a science fiction question, this is a question that churches have had to ask throughout the generations. The church in China had to ask this question. A lot of the church uh, before the cultural revolution that the, uh, the communists brought to China under Mao um, and all of that stuff, before that, a lot of the leadership in the Chinese church was Western. There was American missionaries and Canadian missionaries and from all over uh, sort of the what's known as the Western world. When they were kicked out of the country, there was a question that was asked, what will happen to the rice Christians? See, there was a perception that a lot of the Chinese people were just along for the ride because hanging out with the wealthy Westerners made life easier. Like, they got free rice out of it. And so what will happen to the rice Christians? It wasn't necessarily a complimentary term. It meant these people are just along for the ride, and maybe their faith is not really legit, and it won't withstand what is to come. And it wasn't really years and decades later until that question really got answered clearly. Well, now they figure in China there might be 100 million Christians. So the rice Christians did very well, thank you very much. There was a real seed of the gospel planted in their lives, But they were forced to enter into a period where reseeding the gospel into their nation wasn't legal, was persecuted, could cost them their material possessions, could lead them to be imprisoned and to be separated from their families and possibly even to die. So no, we're not asking that question in Canada at this point. We're not asking that question. But I think there's a lot of ways that we get scattered and I've, I've, heard, I've seen this story again and again. People, are, they go to a church, it's a solid church, Bible teaching church, a church where people are encouraged and encouraging and loved and loving, sounds familiar? And all those things are happening, and then they get scattered. And here's some of the things that I think can scatter someone, right? Well, obviously fleeing persecution is one we've talked about, but how about switching schools? How many of you switch schools at some point during your, your, your growing up, from grade one to 12? You switch schools, right? So you experienced what I'm talking about. It was that sort of like, I'm the new kid, right? And I had a base of people who encouraged me. I had friends who supported me. You might have had Christians who were with you, and then suddenly, it's me against the world. You know, that first day you walk into the class and you go, oh, I hope I survive this, right? That, that can leave you feeling quite scattered or that, or that, you know, things have changed. How about job change? How many of you moved to Moose Jaw because there was a job here. How I many you moved to Moose Jaw because there was a job here? That's why you came. Okay, quite a few of you, right? And you came here, and you left something familiar behind. And somehow, you're making it go a go of it, but it's still is a, it's a sense of scattering, new relationships, uh, new neighborhood, uh, new connections, trying to establish and start fresh. Health issues. Health issues can be a scattering. Right? You're used to being able to have certain areas of freedom, now you have appointments coming out of the wazoo and you don't, you know, it's amazing how things have just really changed. It's a form of scattering. New family dynamics, especially ones you didn't see coming. Boy, if we had known five years ago that this would be our new family dynamic, wow, it's really changed everything. How about marriage? That's a pretty life-changing experience. How about divorce? That is as well. These can be for forms of scattering. How about, how about volunteering? Just suddenly you're involved with new people and you're helping out and you're, you're formed into teams and it's new. Post-secondary education is a form of scattering. You leave your home maybe or maybe you stay at home but you're surrounded by a whole different environment. Buying a new house in a new neighborhood can be a form of scattering downsizing from the old neighborhood you used to be in to another place to live. All sorts of different ways that we are scattered. And the hope of a church is that we build someone up in such a way that when they, if they have to leave their connection with our church, they go somewhere else, they go live somewhere else, that they are not then um, totally falling apart, but actually that they're strong to take the gospel with them. We want to build people up so that they're effective. Ephesians talks about this. It says, Christ gave Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth. He's not talking about being literal infants, but being spiritual infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love that word ligament. I have a brother who always says if I, you know, the body of Christ, this concept that we're all one body, he always says, I think I'm just a ligament. He always says that. I think I'm just a ligament, just a connecting piece. <laughs> like a, I don't know, like a Lego? I don't know what he thinks. Uh, but, but this whole idea of, of supporting ligaments. So if you've got a network of Christian friends who support you, encourage you, you've known them, and then suddenly you're uprooted, you're scattered. How well do you do at, reconnecting. Sometimes that's very challenging for people. Reconnecting into the body, reconnecting with a common mission to see people one to Christ. I had a pilot from the air base uh, who's now, he, he was out here training and I think he finished his pilot stuff and then he was moving on to the next place they were stationing him. But this last year, he really encouraged me, he was going to another church here in town but he heard about some of the things we were doing with church renewal. He heard that we were doing set-free uh, set retreats um, and that we were going to hold a Hearing God seminar to help people to listen and, and hear God speaking to them. And then finally, they were doing prayer summits once a month. And he had been part of a church uh, out in Manitoba that was doing all of those type of things. And when he heard about what we were doing, he started coming to all these things. And really encouraging me personally, he'd say, oh, I'm so glad you've gone down this road. Let me tell you what it's done in my life. Let me tell you how it's, 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 I just think it's the answer. I've been praying for something like this to happen in Moose Jaw, you know, just, he was super encouraging. And the more I chatted with him, the more I thought, someone has trained and equipped this guy. Not us, but somewhere else. Someone trained and equipped him. I mean, he was just Really encouraging, really great, but I, just, I could tell that a lot of the things that had happened because of his association with his old church were still causing him to be strong in his new environment. Even though he'd been scattered because he had to come here for a job and he was going to be scattered again. Well, that's a good word for anyone who's in the military. <laughs> scattered, scattered, scattered. He's going to be scattered again. There was a strength in him that I saw and I thought... Whatever church he came from, good on them. Good on them. They worked to disciple him and to work with him, and there was a strength in him uh, for God that I thought was really uh, exceptional. So again, I asked, we asked this question. One of the keys to being scattered is to discern God's activity and to ask the question, what is God doing? What is God doing? So you know what the government's doing that might lead to new people introduced to our neighborhood, but what is God doing? Or you know what your employer is doing, that's why he had to transfer to Moose Job, but what was God doing? Or you know what the economy is doing and how they're shifting and changing, but what is God doing? What is God doing? I think anyone who's being scattered or, ha- or has been scattered should be asking that question. What is God doing? What is God doing in this new environment Or maybe some of you, you're listening to this message right now and you know the scattering is just about to happen. You've already got that notice. You're already looking for houses in a different community. Ask this question, what is God doing? What is God doing? I don't think that the, the changes and shifts in our lives are just about jobs and houses and health and schooling. They're also about finding what God wants to do in every single pocket of the world to the ends of the earth what is god doing here's the second phrase so scattered now set apart set apart let me read to you from acts 13 1-3 it says now the church at antioch and this is the first missionary sending church really now the church at antioch there were prophets and teachers so th- these are some of their leaders and we're going to read about five of them it says there was barnabas Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Two of them might be familiar, Barnabas and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the, for the work to which I have called them. You know, if a church had five awesome leaders and they had to give up two, it'd be an ouch, wouldn't it? Uh, you know what I've noticed? God is always, 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 always asking us for our best. There's no end to that. From the beginning of, of the story of God that starts in Genesis, look at the story of Cain and Abel. One guy pleased God because he offered his best. The other guy... He knew what was right to do, but he didn't do it. And God is always asking us for our best. That's the way to please God, to give us our best. So when God's call is actually calling people, leaders, sometimes from out from amongst us to go somewhere else, it hurts because we're like, oh, such great leaders, such great people, people we love and care about, and they're just right at the heart of our church. And yet we say yes because God is a better strategist than we are. Now we rejoice even though we wince a little bit because we don't want to lose them because God is the one who says, set apart these ones for the work that I have for them. So that's happened lots of times at this church. Lots of times we've brought up great friends and good leaders. We brought them to the front of the church. We laid our hands on them. We prayed for them. Uh, Before that even came to be, we would have sat probably across from each other, heard their hearts, heard what God was doing, uh, we, we would have, for many of them, helped them discern the process of how God was calling them, because there really is some things that, that come with being, um, with being set apart. Uh, obviously, the first one is calling. Is God calling you to do this, right? These guys who were praying and fasting, they had this sense together that they were supposed to set apart these guys for this special, special mission, which meant they'd be leaving, And they'd be leaving for quite a while. And uh, so calling is the first thing, right? To figure out, has God really called this person? Kurt had a great section of his message last week. Again, you can hear it on podcast where he really talked about that when you are feeling a sense of going out on mission or you're saying, yeah, I'm going to go do this, that the people who are your brothers and sisters in God's family really have a right to vet that process for you. They really have a right to ask about the motivations and where you're going and what's your strategy and how you're going to do it. And it's a safeguard for us. It's an incredible safeguard for us. Because when we launch out on our own and literally it's on our own, we're individuals, I heard God, nobody else can tell me otherwise, lots and lots of times those people get in trouble. When people just sort of just are bullheaded and say, nope, I've heard God, I don't want to hear anyone else on this thing. Uh, the n- neat thing is God has put us into a community and he's meant for us to speak into each other's lives, right? The encouragement I've got for you uh, is going to be powerful, but the encouragement you've got for me is going to be powerful. Again, I've been quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer for weeks now because it just struck me. It's such an odd statement, he says, but the Jesus inside of you is stronger than the Jesus inside of me and the Jesus inside of me is stronger than the Jesus inside of you. And it's a crazy statement. It sounds like, what is he talking about? But it's really just talking about the fact that we are meant to do this together. We're meant to do this together, and that's how God designed it. That we're meant to do this together. So you say, I'm going to go do this. I just, uh, I just decided I'm going to do all these radical shifts in my life to go do this one thing. Then the people around you, wise, godly, caring, uh, grace-filled people, should really speak into that. So really speak into that. And that's going to be a blessing to you when it gets hard, right? If, you, if they say, yeah, you should definitely go. God's called you. We can see that. Or, or we, we really do think this is, you know, you, you suspect this might be God's call. We also think that it might be that as well. And let's keep praying and let's keep going through the process to determine that call. So it's calling and then there's gifting, right? So um, has God gifted you? Has he shaped you to do this? Right? Sometimes that's not always apparent because we don't always know what God's getting us into. But uh, that's part of it. And so you have those sit-down conversations. You talk about the way that you're shaped. People input into your life. You know, ultimately you're the player on the field and you've got to make the call. But why would you not listen to a multitude of counselors who can, who can really speak into that and say, you know what, I see you shaped a little bit differently. I think you could really... Like flourish if you did this. I think you could really make a huge difference in the world if you did these kind of things. What do you think? And again, nobody's trying to control anyone else, but everyone's trying to bless each other and help each other find the place in which they're bringing the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. What about passion? Jeremiah said he had a message shut up in his bones. He just had to let it out. Well, I think you'd hope for that in all of us, right? That there's something in us that we're really passionate about, and the thing you're passionate about and the thing I'm passionate about might be different, and that's okay. But wouldn't it be great to clarify that? And again, people do that together as you say, you know, you've got a passion for this, and you know what? That doesn't light my fire at all, but I can see it in you that it's real and genuine, and, and you're gonna have effectiveness with certain people that I won't have so God bless you, and go do it, and I'm, I just want to affirm that in you, and then and it might, and reciprocates back and forth. What about timing? That's such an important thing. Man, I know God's called me to do this. Go here. The community of faith can help you with timing. Um, I've got a couple of missionaries here this morning. I haven't asked for their permission, but I'm going to help. Hazel, are you here this morning? Hazel? Hazel, how old were you when you felt the call to the mission field? And was it a certain country? Okay, age six, she said. She came to the Lord and then felt the call to missions from then on. So a certain country at age six or what? No, I had no country in mind until the Lord led us in nineteen fifty nine. So it was after you were married. So from six till after you were married to Lloyd that it was unclear which country you're going to. Okay. So location would be another thing timing, right? If you said to your parents, "I'm I want to go to the mission field now." And they said, "No, eat your food and go to bed or whatever." Right? The Lord had put on your heart to go teach others to teach others, which is exactly what you did. Exactly what you did. So, God can give you a call as young as 6, and I guess younger, I assume, but at least we know 6. We got we got at least that benchmark. God can put that calling your heart, but there's, then there's people in the process. There's spiritual leaders, there's, 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 there's people who come alongside of you, help you shape that process, and, and then you have this huge blessing because the people are all behind you, and they say, you know what? God has really shaped you for this. God has really uh, uh, given you unique giftings like Hazel has. If you know Hazel, you know she has a unique gift set that God has really used throughout the year, and, and in partnership with her, her husband, Lloyd, they were faithful, committed, just uh, serving the Lord in India for many, many, many years and still serving the Lord and still trucking back to India whenever she gets a chance. <laughs> it was really cool. So it's being set apart. And just can't say um, enough about the discernment of others in the process. Okay, so I am trying to, I, so here's, a, here's, a, here's something I'm trying to get out of my life. I'm trying to, now this will sound bad because some of you think, well, I really would like it if our pastor always just absolutely knows exactly what the will of God is. Wouldn't that be cool to have a pastor like that? I'm not that pastor. But, but, I do get these senses that God's in this, or or I think God wants this, or, I'm, I'm I feel a leaning towards this I have a sense that this is what God might be doing behind the scenes now you never know all that God's doing behind the scenes you know his paths are beyond tracing out we can't just go that's exactly God's strategy here we don't know it it's way beyond us but he gives us glimpses and hints and things like that and then you come together with the others and you say you know what it seems like this and this adds up to this what do you think and they say, yeah, that could be God. Or they say, whoa, i got a caution about that. Or some red flag's sort of flying up. And you talk about it. Again, you've got to make the decision at the end of the day. You're not giving away. Please don't do that. Don't give away your, your free will to have someone else sort of dominate or control you. But that interplay where you encourage each other, where you're sort of like detectives together to figure out what is God doing? What is God leading us to? It's a valuable process. Uh, So we got scattered, set apart. These are how God reaches to the ends of the earth. And then sent is the last one. Of course, the last line of that passage I read. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So this is really talking about our partnership with those who go. So God sets some people apart. They feel to go to this, to be a part of this ministry or this thing in in, in Moose Jaw or maybe in Saskatchewan or maybe with a different ethnic group, or maybe to the ends of the earth, to people who have never heard. And what is left is for people to send them, right? People who are part of the process of saying, yeah, I believe you are set apart for this. So what's part of, what are part, some of the parts of the sending? Well, there's obviously support. Uh, we met with a missionary just a little while ago um, as a staff team, um, not necessarily knowing whether there'd be any financial support in it for them but we just wanted to meet with them and to hear their heart and we had this really great uh, talk and one of the things that came up in it was they talked about the level at which they were sacrificing to do their mission that was inspiring it was really really helpful they're saying this is financially what we've done this is this is how we live before we went to the mission field this is how we live now and these are the sacrifices we're making and and They weren't necessarily saying, hey, you as a church got to support us. That's not how it works. But they were saying, we just want people who partner with us and sacrifice with us at the same level. That was inspiring to me. That was inspiring to me. So when when I heard about what they were going without and they were doing without, I thought, if I'm going to partner with this person, it makes sense that I'm going to go without and do without something. I love the idea of let's sacrifice and let's sacrifice together. Is your family, or are you personally? If, you know, are you sending anyone to do the Great Commission? I mean, even on a small scale. Now, here's the thing: if you don't, if this isn't really grabbing you, you're saying, "Ah, I'm not totally sure if we should be sending people out to preach the gospel to other people." I'll, and you think, "But maybe I should feel that way." I'll tell you one of the easiest keys to getting to feel that way. Start giving towards them financially. That's the easiest key, because where where your money is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Some of you, you give regularly to certain charities or to people or something like that, and you perk up every time that charity or that effort or that ministry is named. You just, ping, you come alive. You're always looking for it. You can pick it out in a conversation. You're always thinking about it right? You're even strategizing in your head, some of you, and how we, that uh, effort could be more effective, how we could support them, how we could do those things. Uh, once you get in the game and you start regularly supporting something, your heart is going to move towards it. Your heart is going to be inflamed for the efforts that go on there. So support is, is, is one form. Encouragement is another one. How can we extend our body to minister to people who maybe are scattered or maybe are set apart to go to a certain uh, role and place? That's one we have to think about. How can we, how can we do that? Um, nowadays, it, there's lots of tricky places to go in the world where if you go, there's not a lot of communication back home. Communication back home has to be careful in all those ways. I think there's a lot of head-scratching we have to do as a church to be effective in the, in the role of encouragement? I don't have the answers for all of that. I, ju- I just know that there's new challenges and there's probably some conversations we need to have as a church that will help us to be encouragers to people who've made the sacrifice to go. And prayer, right? I, I always think of prayer as artillery, maybe because I watched too many war movies when I was a kid, but I always think of um, ground soldiers go in to take a position and then they realize they can't take the position. So they get on the radio, and they say, here's these coordinates. Can you shell it? You know, send artillery in. So soften up the enemy barricades and whatever, and then we'll, we'll go in and take the territory. You know, missionaries, they send letters or they emails, or or they put something on Facebook, a video or something. It's like, will you please pray? We have this actual real challenge right in front of us right now. That's a great opportunity for us to be part of the, the effort to send Prayer is artillery, right? And we might be thousands upon thousands of miles away from where they are, but that doesn't matter to God, right? So that becomes an effective way that we can send. William Carey, um, just a little story, but William Carey, he blazed trails to India in in 1792. And actually, um, Hazel and Lloyd ended up pastoring in Carey Baptist Church. So the church that William Carey started in like around 1700, 1792, so 1800 roughly, they ended up pastoring. So that's a pretty prevailing work, you know, not bad if you went, if the church was from 1800 and it's still uh, doing well um, 200 years later. So William Carey, before he went to India, um, he he had this um, illustration he used with some of his friends. He said, imagine that I'm like a miner. Again, in England in the 1800s, mining was a big deal, so they would all understand this. He said, imagine that I'm like a miner going underground. And he said, the big thing that matters to me if I'm going underground is that somebody is up above holding tightly to the rope. Of course, the miners then, it was a very you know, primitive form of mining. They would go down with a rope, And they wanted to know that whoever was up above held securely to the rope. And so there was a couple friends, uh, Andrew Fuller and John Ryland, um, who heard his plea, if I go down, will you hold the rope? And Ryland says this, he reported, he took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit, so to say, that while we lived, we will never let go of the rope. If you're going to go to India and perhaps never return, we will never stop supporting you. We'll never let go of the rope as long as we live. Now, what does it look like for a church that never lets go of the rope? What does that look like? Well, let me just list a few things really quickly. I mean, there's lots of ways churches do let go of the rope, right? Uh, What if someone goes out as a missionary? Again, I think we have another mission. Uh, Matson's, you guys are here this morning. Yeah, there's Dave and Denise Matson's, our missionaries to Taiwan. Just wave again so people can spot you over there. Um, We have had at least 50 years of partnership with Denise, and Dave got in on the package, right? Dave went with his family as a young child when General Douglas MacArthur at the end of World War II said, send missionaries to Asia and they filled up warships that had been used in World War II with missionaries, and that's how, that's correct, isn't it? That's how Dave and his family got to Asia. And then uh, sometime after that, this church sent Denise, as a young woman, to, uh, to Asia, and she managed to find Dave, and they got married. <laughs> and uh, so we for 50 years, we've been holding on to the other end of the rope. 50 years is a long time. Bad stuff can happen in 50 years. Churches can let go of the rope by changing their message about Jesus. What if Dave and Denise Mattson come back over several years and we're saying, oh, it's not that big a deal for people to know Jesus? It's not that big a deal for people to have their sins forgiven, to receive Him as their leader and their Lord. And they'd come back and go, oh, nobody's got the other end of the rope. Churches let go of the rope by failing to evangelize their own community and the next generation. What if they come back here and there's only two people? So yeah, we're still hanging on to the rope, but everybody else is gone. I guess we should have sort of told our kids about Jesus and maybe some of the people in our community. Yeah, we should have sort of matched up with you. Yet you were telling people about Jesus? We should have been doing that too. I guess we weren't a very good match here, right? Sorry, we weren't the strongest at holding on to the rope. Churches let go of the rope by failing to prioritize Jesus' command to go to the ends of the earth. What if they went out and then 50 years later, we got a phone call and say, Hey, yeah, we found something new and shiny and exciting to do instead of world missions. And you know, Jesus' command to go to the ends of the earth, we're not really prioritizing that anymore. We found other cool things to do. Fifty years is a long time to hang on to a rope. But it's important. Jesus has called us to these things. So as we end, I'll end with this. You know, there's three options when it comes to this call to the ends of the earth. One is you can go. Right now, 85%, 95% of you are saying, please no, please no, Lord. (laughs) Especially not Africa, or wherever you've got in your mind, or maybe you want to especially go to Africa. It's become quite a cool place to go for a lot of people. But God may be, just like Hazel experienced when she was six, and maybe you're 16, or 26, or 46, or you're 66 and you're just retiring, And maybe God's putting it on your heart to be a part of taking his message to the ends of the earth. So you can go. I encourage you, start talking to people about that. Say, "Ah, maybe, maybe that's what God wants from me. I sort of feel drawn towards that. I'm curious. I've got an interest there. I think there's ways I could help. Maybe God could use my giftings and abilities and start talking with wise, caring, loving, Jesus-loving people. Or you can send, right? Maybe you're part of that conversation. Your friend is saying, I'm trying to discern whether I'm supposed to do this thing. Will you be a part of the process with me? Will you discern with me? Will you give me, don't just blow sunshine. Boy, I just really don't like that when you go to someone for advice and they just, whatever you say, They oh yeah, just go do that. You know they're not invested. You want someone who's like, okay, I'm really going to think about that. I'm going to talk to you about pros and cons. We're going to think through things. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to listen see if God tells me anything. So you can go, you can send, or you can be disobedient to God. That one's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? <laughs> you can go, you can send. And God has called us to go. God, I, I thank God that he's, he's pulled us into different partnerships with people. Again, long-term partnerships that we have even represented here t- today and ones that are more recent. But God is calling us to continue the task that isn't done. When we saw the map with lots of white over lots of areas, it doesn't represent that still half the world hasn't heard. Almost half the world. And so today if God's calling you to go, begin that conversation with you know with people that you know and trust and you and you also know that they love Jesus and they want his purposes to happen. If you're not part of sending, I, I mean, you give to this church and that helps send people. We, we, um, we're, we're really thrilled. Like, we've been able to give more in the last year than we've ever been able to give more into missions. So we're really thrilled with that. So that's a part of it. But I would, I would encourage you to take a step that gets you personally engaged. So whether you're personally giving or start encouraging a missionary, write to them. You know, one, you might get an email constantly and you've never written back. Decide, I'm gonna actually speak back. I'm going to let them know there is somebody on the other end of, their, of the ocean or wherever they are. And finally, uh, let's partner together. Let's hold on to the rope. Let's grow as a church. I think one of the things we, uh, we need to grow in, in this season is we, we need to really experience our relationship with God, to walk in our relationship with God. I think what that does is it begins... To give us a witness when we talk to others in the community and say, hey, yeah, just the other day God did this cool thing in my life. Oh, yeah, I, just, I was reading in the Bible and this encouraged me. Or this is how I got out of bed yesterday. It's actually connected to God, if you can believe it. For us to dig into what God has for us and to begin to share that with our community so that we match the people we're partnering with on the other end of the rope. Worship team, prayer team, I invite you to come. Let's stand together. I think we'll, yeah, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you've called us to be a part of your great mission in the world. I thank you so much that you've uh, uh, given us people that we can partner with who are going to all sorts of different corners where the gospel hasn't been heard. I thank you for people who, uh, when they went, that mission field was totally uh, fresh and new and green, and now you've enabled them to see the growth and maturity of the work there. And, Lord, I pray that you would continue, even though sometimes we push against it, continually ask us for our best. Lord, would you ask us for our best? I know that you want that. That's your heart's desire, is that we would live with such joy in who you are and what a treasure that you are to our lives, that we'd be willing to unclench our fists off material possessions, unclench our fists to stop holding on to people, but to just release them to you and say, God, your mission is what we're here for. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you in your name.